All right, everyone, welcome back to the CASA Advocacy Update Podcast. I am Logan, here today with Alex Clark himself, the man, the myth, the legend. I just like to make him blush, everybody. Alex, how's your day going? It's going all right. That's it? It's just all right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a Sunday, so slow and easy. Uh, The sun's out. It's nice. Is it Uh, race day? uh, It is race day. They're in Las Vegas today. Ah. Um, is this an exciting one or is this like a yeah it's vegas baby this is fun again Uh, i don't know anything about i don't know what tracks are exciting and what ones aren't this is the home home track for the bush brothers kyle bush kurt bush i'm a kyle bush fan so um so yeah it's it should be a good day well i hope one of the bushes wins for you i hope kyle wins (laughs) i hope kyle wins i hope he goes in all of the circles i hope he makes all the proper left hand turns i hope he goes very fast and i hope he pits at the right time you nailed it that's, perfect that's exactly, i'm a nascar expert bro what can exactly i say exactly what we're all hoping for that's my sports commentary for everyone today excellent work all right well i guess we can we don't need to spend so much time on uh, on nascar we can get right into all the fun things we're going to talk about today Um, so this is, this is typically the part of the show where I kind of just give the floor right over to Alex because, because he's the man let's go over some legislation. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't have a lot of updates from last week. Um, it was relatively quiet, uh, in, in terms of things being introduced, um, can't I'm, I'm starting to mix up well i'm not starting to mix up my days and weeks I, i've got them mixed up pretty thoroughly for a while now it um, always feels like such a double-edged sword when we have these quiet weeks at least for me i'm always like whew, it feels like a time to breathe but then you're like no it's absolutely not it's not um and 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 the week ended we'll get to it i mean the week ended with some some really interesting news um, but I, I will say, you know, a couple of things that we cover in um, the update this week uh, are some local uh, alerts. Um, folks, you know, we've been talking about this for years. So folks may notice that, you know, we're not always going to have your, your city or, or town uh, with some sort of campaign going. Uh, there are 39,000 local governments throughout the United States, and we do not have the funding to afford the service to track all of those. Um, and even, even the big companies don't, don't necessarily use these things because um, it, it's actually cheaper to just hire real humans to monitor this stuff. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of uh, collaboration or coordination to get all this stuff nailed down, but we grab what we can through the news alerts. Uh, and so um, there's- Also there's- one of those things too, like, CASA has a, you know, a a good handle on tracking a lot of places around the country, but it's also really great when consumers themselves, members of CASA reach out and say, Hey, you know, in my local town Mm -hmm. or my County here, this just came up. I don't know if you guys are aware, because like you said, there's 39,000 local governments, like it's a lot to track. It's also really great when, when people are like, Oh, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but this bill just came up. Yeah, it's and it's one of the reasons why, you know, Kristen put so much work into building all of the 50 state Facebook groups um, and why we have all the 50 state pages. But, you know, mainly the, the we have that social media 
those social media channels that, um, you know, if you're a member of those state groups and you see something happening in your town, drop us a note uh, and, and, you know, we'll try to amplify that, you know, however we can. So, um, yeah. 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 It's absolutely helpful when, uh, when everybody pitches in. So, um, you know, there actually seems to be a bit of a theme here with the, the, the local stuff. Um, first up, we got, uh, I'm gonna, hopefully I'm not, Corte Madera. I butchered it this morning when I talked about it. <laughs> What's that? You butchered the name? Oh, I'm sure I did. Cause I said Corte Madera and I, that's totally wrong. It's probably Madeira. like, it's probably like court. Yeah. It's probably like court Madera or court, yeah. Corte Madera. Probably. Corte Madera. Um, we're just all of our ignorance is on display here. Oh it's yeah. Great. Yeah. This is, um, <laughs> I'm sorry for my, my New Yorker interpretation of this. I, I will tell you though, if there's one thing I excel at, it's being a failure in public. So <laughs> put that on my head. Soon. Um, so, uh, Corte Madera, California, Corte Madera, um, uh, they're looking to ban smoking in private residence with an exemption for medical cannabis. Um, the, the ban also includes vaping. Of course, the, the question I think that everyone should, should be asking themselves is, um, first of all, what is the government, what, what is their business inside my home? Uh, telling me what I can and can't consume. Uh, of course, your government, depending on where you live, has varying interpretations of that. Um, uh, but also, I mean, there's one glaring issue here is how, how do you, do, do, do people who consume uh, medical cannabis have to um, let their neighbors know? Um, do their neighbors also have to uh, let everyone else in the neighborhood know about the medications they're on? Um, it, how do you make that distinction between medicinal cannabis use and recreational use just by smelling? Um, and of course, uh, who in, is actually going to enforce no vaping inside private residences? Um, I will say I do understand that uh, there is some some transfer, of, you know, air transfer between units in an apartment building, um, depending on the building. Um, I lived above a vape shop for a year when we first moved to Plattsburgh. Um, I am not offended by this. I don't know why anybody would be offended by the smell of a vape shop that smells like fruit. Uh, yeah, blueberry, fruit, bakery, muffins. Smell. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's actually kind of nice. Um, it's a little weird, of course, when you overthink it a little bit and you're just like, wait, this is, this is vape stuff. It's not like a bakery. It's, it's just it, 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 it kind of trips your brain up a little bit because, you know, it's still kind of new for humans. Um, but it's, it's still, you know, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not horrible, that, but of oh, course yeah. I, did, I would so. probably on the regular be like, Oh, is someone bringing me blueberry muffins right now? And then ultimately I mean, be let down by the fact that there are no actual blueberry <laughs> muffins. <laughs> it's horrible. We should, we should protect people from that disappointment. We should. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you live next door to, if you live in an, in an apartment building or, or whatever with someone who, who likes to vape apple pie, you know, and, and you happen to really like cinnamon and apple Yankee candles, well, ditch the candles because they're, they're harming you and stick with the person vaping below you who's not actually putting you at risk. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, whatever, however you want to look at that, it's ridiculous. It um, is. It's absolutely. And like, so, you said, how do you, how do you just, yeah, who, I don't know how to, I'm trying to fabricate my thought here because two key points that you made 
go together really well. Who's going to enforce this? Is this going to be landlords? Are they just going to intrusively come into your home uh, when they smell uh, medicinal cannabis? And then how do you make that distinction? Now, do you have to, you know, publicly or to your landlord or whoever this is, discuss your medications? You know, that's a, a huge privacy breach, I would imagine, um, to have to have to discuss that openly. And then who's who's going to make that distinction? Who's going to enforce this? Yeah. So, well, this uh, reading into the article on our site a little bit further, you know, this is for uh, housing complexes. Um, and uh, this is something that. So is the maintenance guy going to kick down my door? And maybe well, show I, him I, you know, I think part, card? Of, part of this is relying on neighbors to rat each other out. Ah, um, that old, which, you know, yeah, yeah that, that old chestnut that doesn't create any tension or anything weird. Right. Um, but it's, you know, this is, this is similar to uh, things that we've seen in, in New York and other places of the law requiring landlords to have some sort of policy in place, um, you know, designating a certain percentage of the building to non-smoking. Uh, allowing them to designate smoking areas and so on. Um, you know, the real, and I, I will say again, I, I, I don't know that I've, I, I've said this, I think in one of our two previous podcasts, um, having been someone that has had to clean out vehicles um, on, a, on a regular basis, um, I will say that, you know, from a, from a business owner standpoint, um, having your assets be devalued because people are smoking in them. And it doesn't matter if it's cannabis or tobacco. Um, it, it, it's, it's difficult to clean that out. And uh, you are paying, typically you're paying someone to do that. Of course, I worked for a small company. So our best um, cost saver was to just do it ourselves so that I learned how to do that. Um, it's, not, or it's not hard to do it yourself. Um, you do have to pay for the materials, the chemicals and so on and take the proper precautions. But it is, it is an additional cost because you, right. you know, uh, um, the people who own, whoever owns the, the housing complex then has to pay, whether it's maintenance workers or another company to come in and then the cost of all that material and the time for them to go through and, and clean all that out. It's, it's, it's an additional cost. And it, yeah. depending on how many apartments you have to do, how regularly that cost can add up pretty quickly. Yeah, so it's it's substantial, and I I can understand um, you know a, a property manager, building owner, whoever um, prohibiting smoking of any kind for those reasons. Um, but vaping doesn't leave the same kind of residue. It doesn't do the same kind of damage. Um, in it certainly doesn't and, leave the smell. Right, and and even cannabis. I mean, depending on how, depending on someone's pattern of use, which maybe we'll talk about later. Um, you know. Uh, that may not be such a huge deal either. So, um, but with with cigarettes, typically, um, you know, it, it's it's yeah, whatever. I mean, if you just smoke one a day, I don't think that's going to be that big of a deal, right? But you if you're like I was, that, you know, a pack plus smoker, um, right? I mean, get just getting it out of my clothes was was near impossible for me. My clothes fresh out of the laundry would still have a hint of cigarette to them, you know? And, and I mean, it depends on the house, depends on the building. I don't, we're getting into all kinds of technical in the weed stuff here, but you know, yeah. I lived in a, I lived in a house that was relatively drafty for many years. I was a very heavy smoker and 
you know, after I stopped smoking in that apartment, people were actually a bit surprised that the place didn't smell like an ashtray. So yeah, um, again, it's, you know, it's a situational kind of thing. Um, For sure. All right. So, sorry, Jim. Sorry, Jim. We got sorry, a little Jim. sidetracked there. <laughs> sorry, Jim. In the weeds. But uh, Corta so Madera. anyway, that's Corta, Corta Madera, California. Corta Madera. Um, Boulder County, Colorado is also looking at a, pu- a, a public vaping ban. Um, this is, I assume, without even reading the article, just folding vaping into any existing smoking ban. Um, so indoor and, and, and probably some outdoor restrictions as well. Um, so that's Boulder County. Um, check out the link and, and check out Boulder County commissioners uh, and see what they're up to uh, for the meeting details. Um, we got another private residence ban. In yeah, this one. Now we're back Jerupa in California. Valley. This one. Jerupa, Jerupa Valley. Um, yeah, that sounds like a place in California. So I assume this is the same thing that we just spent 20 minutes talking about and, and won't go over again. But um, if you live in Jerupa Valley, uh, be on the lookout for that and check our website to find the latest story on that. On the Just go to the blog. Um, West Hollywood also having a private residence ban. Um, and it looks like it... It's considering the ban. Uh, this would take effect in 2022 on March 1st. So a year from now, if it is enacted. Um, and that's kind of it for the local stuff. Um, I, I uh, Like I said, I, I just don't have state stuff to update on other than um, this is one, I'm still trying to kind of figure it out here, but um, there is a hearing on Monday uh, I don't know if I have the time here. Okay, 6 p.m. Monday, March 8th. Uh, so once you listen to this, it will still be time. Um, there is a bill in Rhode Island. It is H5548. And I just saw this this, this morning when I was looking through our update. And um, I believe this would overturn the flavor ban in Rhode Island. Oh, uh, so, okay, this is good legislation then. This, this is potentially good. I'm, I'm a little apprehensive to be all excited about it because it's sponsored by three Democrats. Um, and, so there's and a they, catch. Well, yeah, well, I mean. <laughs> that's my, sorry for all, sorry for all my Democrat <laughs> friends out there. But uh, that's, that was my, that was my, my gut feeling was like, okay, there's a catch. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a catch. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, it's called the Rhode Island Vapor Products Regulatory and Licensure Act of 2021. So um, it, it's, it's the state stepping in and, and setting some standards. Uh, and these standards involve uh, everything from, uh, you know, thousand foot distance for advertising, um, which, I mean, you know, look, I, I don't, I don't think that anybody should be taking out a billboard to sell alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, firearms, whatever, next to an elementary school. Um, those kids, those kids are going to get all of that exposure on Instagram anyway. Um, <laughs> just the backseat of the school bus. Yeah, exactly. Driving home, they're, they're going to find it. So no, no need to really put it next to the school, save your money. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, everybody needs to get permits and license licenses. Uh, I'm trying to get to the exact wording here, but it just, just reading through it earlier. Um, one of the, the limits will be on what the e-liquid is called. So you can't use, uh, you know, candy, candies, you know, alternate spellings and variations of those words. Um, oh, so they're they're going to regulate like the the language used in the the branding and the marketing speech. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this doesn't uh, this doesn't challenge any. It it could it may First not Amendment though, rights here anything you know, like we, that. We have to under, we have to remember that that cigarette companies are held to a similar rule. Um, they can no longer say light and low tar. Yeah, that's, um, this is true. Yeah, you know, this is that's why you know you have Marlboro Gold. But that fell more into called now, like health claims, right? It, well, it's sort yes, it it does. And so the argument with the candy flavor stuff is that it sends the wrong message to kids. They think that this stuff is is safe because it's a fruit flavor, or because it resembles the candy that they're given by mom and dad, or by yeah. Don't mind the treating. nicotine warning that takes up a third of the bottle. Yeah, like that doesn't make an impression um, because there's a warning on everything and, you know, everything. That's true. So why, <laughs> this coffee why is made one more hot. warning label going to make a difference? Um, but yeah, so it's uh, it, it, the label can't contain the terms candy, candies, candy with a K, candies with a K and an E-E-Z at the end, bubble gum, cotton candy, gummy bear, cupcakes, cake soda pop lollipop or milkshake or milkshake or variants in spelling of these terms so i mean you know i can think of i have actually had a flavor that was it was three different types of fruit i can't remember them and i, I swear i can't even remember the company um but uh but it tasted just like bubble gum i mean there's a different way to describe bubble gum certainly um and gummy bear like we don't actually need to call it gummy bear, I guess. I'm just trying to think of like, you know, here's the thought process, but like cupcake, you know, cake, that's a pretty specific, I mean, not only is that a specific flavor in vaping, it's it's a category of, of flavor, like yeah. your cake and, and dessert. So what are you left on. to call it? Uh, you know, just dessert? Like, are we not allowed to, would dessert be acceptable? But that's an even broader category. No one's gonna know necessarily what they're yeah. buying. You know, yeah, oh, vanilla so, dessert that could be anything. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the, the, these are the things that are problematic and and yeah. and, and need to be solved. I, I don't want to say you know this is a bad attempt or this is being done in bad faith. I think that you know this is a legitimate concern, and even 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 the industry, the vapor industry has had these conversations they may not realize it but you know the conversations that we had about companies stealing ip and and you know somebody selling like a fruit loops e-liquid yeah um, you know you, you, people have to understand that that name that brand was built up and is is built up over years and all of their marketing right down to the you know the font on the name has been tested and, and, and they have worked to optimize how they reach kids with mm -hmm. that marketing. And so it, it's, it is something that the industry really does need to grapple with. I think, you know, VTA put out some, some standards about marketing. I, I don't know them chapter and verse, but 
you know, this was an attempt to kind of deal with that, that debate over what constitutes a product being marketed to kids. Is it strictly limited to choosing the audience on whatever platform you're marketing on? Or is it also what you call the liquid? I mean, if you put it in just the, you know, if you just have a plain black and white label on there that says cupcake, is that still, is that marketing to kids? Right. But, you know, when you've got basically essentially Fruit Loops and the logo and this colorful, you know, I've heard the argument about nostalgia about a thousand times, which I think is, you know, as an adult, I like Fruit Loops. I like bubble gum and I like all these, these amazing flavors and and sure. Some of these cereals and stuff are, are nostalgic, right? Like that's the argument that I hear all the time, uh, nostalgia and I'm an adult. I like my flavors. And I agree with both of those statements wholeheartedly, but like you talked about IP theft, like you talked about, like you're literally, if you're stealing, essentially stealing or utilizing marketing and branding that companies have dedicated decades to appealing to kids with, your product now looks like something that is obviously appealing to kids. Like that's all of that was market tested to do just that. Yeah. And I, I will say, you know, um, now I'm just kind of remembering reading of it. This bill does have language in it about um, IP theft, which so, I think is great. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, through licensure and all of that, you know, a company will have to, I, I assume basically have the state kind of review their brands much like you would do, um, you know, at a, at a trade show that is trying to enforce some standards about um, IP theft or, you know, whatever. So um, again, this, these are points that I think the industry really needs to grapple with from, from our, from the consumer perspective, it's, it's the conversation that you and I just had about how do I know what flavor I, I, I want to use and um, you know, the, the flavors are, are the product. <laughs> yeah, they I mean, absolutely it, it, are. It, it is important that we do have this variety because, you know, I, I need to be able to tell somebody who wants to quit smoking and, and wants to try vaping to, to, I need to be able to tell them, just think about your favorite beverage and, and try that. Think about your favorite dessert. That's the exact same thing that I do with people. Like, what's your favorite thing? Do you really love, I don't know, strawberries? Do you like blueberry lemonade? What's your favorite thing? I bet there's a flavor for that. Yeah. And let's see if that works. Yeah. I mean, you can just play that game, right? Like if you have a craving for a certain food, I mean, as long as it's, well, even if it is a savory dish, um, you can probably find an e-liquid that, Mm -hmm. that mimics that flavor. Um, and it's, you know, yeah, it's worth it for people. I that's, mean, on a personal note, that's what I did. And that's what worked for me. Um, mm-hmm. my favorite, I actually tweeted about this not too long ago. Um, but my favorite thing ever in this, like, besides my children in this world is lemonade. I I'm, I'm such a sucker for, uh, like a tall ice cold glass of like natural, sweet, tangy lemonade on a summer day. Like nothing will put a smile on my face like that it's my favorite thing and i use lemonade e-liquid to quit that was my first go-to thought when i went to the vape shop and i looked at all these flavors i was like well what's my favorite thing lemonade and that's what helped me quit smoking it was a lemonade strawberry lemonade but a lemonade flavored e-liquid and that's 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 how you do it that's what works well you know according to this bill 
um, you would be able to find that lemonade e-liquid in a shop if this passes in, in Rhode Island, because lemonade is not on the list. Good. Yes. So, I mean, that's still, I don't really so, yeah. like this list anyway, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel bad for the folks that are trying to find a, a trying to identify a milkshake liquid, um, yeah. but lemonade not on this list. So, I mean, you know, right cream? there, there's, there's cream's not on that list, right? No. So somebody uh, could nor, sell nor is, nor is custard. So creamy um, strawberry cold drink. You know, I, I think this, this, uh, brings up, you know, the, the big issue here, um, I guess, you know, maybe, maybe someone could make the argument that, that, uh, well, no milkshake doesn't really do it. But, you know, when I think of like lollipop and soda pop and gummy bear and, you know, just generally anything candy, um, well, first of all, kids are not the only market for candies. Um, I know That's that, true. uh, you know, if it, if it wasn't, then Hershey's chocolate wouldn't be as big as it yeah, is. And there are lollipops that are specifically catered to and shaped for an adult crowd. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, so, you know, so I just wanted to make sure, like, again, you're right. Exactly. Candy in and of itself isn't just only specifically for children. Right. And so, but, you know, I, I think part of, part of the issue here with some of these terms is that they are not referring specifically to fruits or necessarily desserts that adults would know to order. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. I'm just trying to kind of, you know, logic this out as to why these terms and not lemonade. Um, you know, I, I, it, it's, I think, you know, the bottom line here is that for something like this, there needs to be a, a, a very critical discussion. Um, and, and I think, honestly, like if we're talking about marketing standards, um, some of the stuff that's already in place makes the most sense. You know, don't don't publish your uh, your 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 marketing in in periodicals or. Uh, on the internet, on sites that are, you know, um, what is it, less than 85% of the, the viewership or readership is over the age of 21 or something like that. Um, that's the federal standard. Um, there were vapor companies that testified at a committee hearing in Congress several years ago who were able to walk into that, that meeting and that hearing and say, we are all, we, not only are we abiding by the federal standard, we're, we're exceeding it uh, with, where we, with where we place our marketing materials. Um, and I think they had a little bit of a, a, a misstep. I can't remember if it was Sports Illustrated or something where the demographic was much younger. I mean, we're not talking about teenagers, but um, they didn't quite have that. They didn't, they were below that 85% threshold. Um, anyway, uh, so, um, but what you're saying is there, there is a legitimate right way to do this, and plenty of companies have shown that already. I think there's a right way about there's a right way to negotiate the standards that are going to work for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what is in place, it, it's not perfect. Um, there's what is? there's always room for improvement. Yeah, I mean, well, here's here's the perfect scenario we all acknowledge that none of this is ever going to be perfect. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where we thing. need to start. <laughs> perfect is a fairy tale, you know? And, and, and so, and I, I know that, you know, the, the, the folks who are getting aggressive with vapor, that's also their, their perspective. It's just that they're more weighted to um, 
it, it seems that they're more willing to accept the harm done to adults um, than they are willing to accept some of the things that they really have no control over as far as children. Yeah. Um, so there's that, that's the imbalance that we're facing. And, and, and I think we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but um, so, yeah, I, as, as far as this bill in Rhode Island is concerned, I'm, I'm going to be looking over this some more this evening. Um, this, this hearing was just announced Friday evening, uh, you know, before the weekend. And apparently, um, I, I, I'm not sure. I think there are a lot of people who didn't know that this was going to be called up for a hearing. So um, this is a last minute thing, just getting into it. Um, we may or may not have some sort of a call to action for this. I'm, I'm not sure yet. I don't want to commit to anything because I haven't, you know, haven't combed over the bill yet. But um, so this is um, H5548 in Rhode Island. And uh, if you are interested, it, there are directions for how to submit written testimony. You can do that up until three o'clock on Monday. Um, and everybody can tune in and watch the hearing. There's also information about how to uh, speak. Um, maybe that's just something that was handed to me. I'm not sure. Uh, oh, it's at the bottom of the agenda for the hearing. So uh, it's the House Committee on Health and Human Services. Uh, and if you scroll all the way to the bottom, there are links for submitting written testimony and participating in verbal testimony. Um, requests for verbal testimony must be submitted via the link by 11 a.m. on Monday. So I know that this podcast is going up in the morning. If you catch this before 11 a.m. and you want to make some spoken comments on this particular bill, um, check out the link and find the directions. So um, more to come on this. We'll certainly be following a very interesting bill uh, and, and very interesting to see this in, in the New England states. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and and I, 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 hope, I hope this turns out to be what I think it might be. Uh, and I would love to see Massachusetts neighbors pushing back on Massachusetts bad policy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, and for everybody out there, I will make sure that the link to that, to all of that going on uh, in Rhode Island is right in the SoundCloud description. So when you're listening to this in the morning, you go, okay, where can I find this? Where can I get to that? It will be in the SoundCloud description at Kasa Media. So if you're listening to this on Apple right now, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to click elsewhere, but, uh, but it will be there. So uh, briskly moving right along. Um... I think the other thing, this is going to be a good segue into what I think we'll spend the rest of the, the podcast talking about, um, uh, which is, is the letter from, from Cliff Douglas. Um, but before that, I think it's, um, you know, we were talking before we came on about this new study uh, looking at youth lung injury risks uh and, and sort of comparing between products, between the THC cartridges, vaping nicotine products, and smoking cigarettes. Uh, and um, the study found that uh, the THC cartridges and smoking, or it, it's, it's both and, THC and. cartridges, and, or not, I mean, not at the same time, but THC cartridges compared to nicotine vapor, um, the THC cartridges were, were causing 
these yeah, long issues. Yeah, that's their their uh, end conclusions here are that uh, the the THC cartridges vaping of THC um, has potentially more lifetime risk associated with it than okay. cigarettes or e-cigarettes. That's my understanding from the article and from from this study. But going into this, you and me looked at this. This is a paywalled study. And yeah. they give us very little information up front, really, to dissect this. So we're going to do our best with what we have because <laughs> paywalling science is always my favorite thing. So, yeah, and it, it's it, I th the thing that, that we were we wanted to investigate here is um, the way that the conclusion is written. Um, the, so it's just two two sentences here. Uh, the study provides preliminary evidence that adolescents ca cannabis use with ENDS, ENDS, electronic nicotine delivery systems, um, may have negative health consequences. Lifetime cannabis use with ENDS was substantially associated with higher odds of respiratory symptoms. So when the average vapor reads this, I assume that they read it as that sort of a combination use or dual use of cannabis vapes and nicotine vapes. Right. You read it cannabis use with ends. Right. But I think what they're trying to say here is vaping THC cartridges. Right. Uh, my right. assumption here is that they are, they just believe that every battery and vapor cartridge that exists on the planet is called an ends. Correct. And that it's the use of cannabis through that product that just is arbitrarily an ends is what they're referring to. I don't necessarily right. think they're talking about the dual use. Right. But I mean, we could just read through this. We could breeze through what's available uh, to the public on this study really quick. The purpose methods results. You just did the conclusions. This is very brief. There's really not much to go off of here. So thank you, Journal of Adolescent Health. Um, purpose of this study was to explore the, the association between respiratory symptoms among U.S. adolescents who were current past 30-day users of cigarettes, e-cigarettes, and or cannabis, as well as lifetime users of cannabis with ENDS. See, this is where, so in the, in the purpose, they do kind of separate e-cigarettes and lifetime users of cannabis with ENDS. And that's where I think we're on the right track here with that they just don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Um, but the methods, wave four from a national probability sample um, of adolescents of 14,798 adolescents from 12 to 17 years old using population assessment of tobacco and health study data was used for this study. Uh, retention rate was 88.4%. The results, uh, the odds of indicating, quote unquote, wheezing or whistling in the chest were roughly two times higher among those who used cannabis in ENDS. Uh, adjusted odds ratio, 1.81, 95% confidence interval, uh, 1.47 to 2.22 for all of you science fans out there. Uh, <laughs> neither e-cigarettes nor cigarettes had a significant association, association with all five respiratory symptoms in the fully adjusted model. And then again, Alex read through the conclusions already. So without, with just this much information, um, my assumption is yes, everything that is just a lithium ion battery with a connection that you hook up an atomizer to is just arbitrarily defined as an ENDS. 
in this study. Yeah, and I, I I highlight this. I mean, you know, look, I it, we neither of us can read the study, and, and even if I could, I couldn't tell you whether or not they the the research is of of high quality. Um, but I you know I don't want to I don't want to take a crap all over this this study without reading it. Um, but I, I think it's a good opportunity to to kind of bring it back up that um, you know the, the folks who are who are researching these products, the folks who are proposing regulations over these products. Um, even, well, the FDA has come a long way, um, but everybody else outside of the FDA um, seems to not fully understand the products. They don't understand the products. They don't understand the people who use the products. They don't understand the people who make the products. Um, and, and it's very clear when we see language like this get confusing in research that um, I, I think there is just way too much campaigning and it's, it is fully skewed um, from the very beginning uh, the way that 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 science is approaching this issue, um, so that's that. I I hope that is some form of uh, constructive criticism for the author here and, and authors of other research to, um, you know, talk to a vapor and 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 get to know get to know the lingo, get to know the industry, get to know the products and the people, um, and and I guarantee you that your research will benefit from it. Man, I think we just need to define things better. Uh, and like you said, know the products. If people would just talk to people who use the products, if researchers would would take in people who have, you know, firsthand experience with these things, I feel like, uh, I feel like studies like this would be, um, would I, I feel like researchers in general would just be better off. Nothing about us without us, man. Yeah. But all right, and enough of our commentary on this. Yeah, I, well, the next little bit is is certainly going to be quite a bit of commentary. Um, so I hope I don't run over any of our self-imposed time limits here. Um, but uh, I'll start by saying, did you, Logan, did you read the uh, the letter from? from I did Tyler? read uh, the fantastic letter from from Mr. Douglas. Yes, from Cliff. Yes, and and that's and so your take is it's a fantastic letter and. Uh, I think overall, I think it's a really good message. Uh, I think what what Cliff is trying to say uh, is a good message because there is a divide um, that we need to come together on between antis and pros. Um, I'm trying to find the letter right now, actually, to pull up while we go through it. I'm sorry I put you on the spot. So yeah, I'll, you, I'll see, I do this talking. to you all the time, though. So it's it's <laughs> it's perfectly fine that you did it to me. Cool. Um, well, I'll, not I'll, while you this, while you not look actually for it. in our blog here though this week. No, not yet. No, not yet. So um, I, I think this was posted on Wednesday or Thursday. I didn't actually see it until Friday, um, and. Uh, so yeah, I, this is to me this is a big deal. I, I'm I'm happy to be corrected about that, I guess, or I, I guess I wouldn't be so happy if I'm wrong. But um, to me, this is a big deal. And um, just for a little bit of background, um, I first crossed paths with Cliff Douglas on Twitter, like in 2014 or 2015. And he's from I believe he's from from Michigan. Actually, that study that we were just talking about about the the effects on the lungs of you know vape pens or, or cannabis versus nicotine products. Um, University of Michigan is where that study is from. I believe Cliff Douglas is also uh, from the University of Michigan. Um, he is from Michigan. 
Uh, and so uh, he's, he's one of these people who, you know, is, is definitely in the tobacco control camp. Uh, at the time, he was working for the American Cancer Society. Um, but he, his comments were more level-headed than anything that I had seen from, uh, you know, the anti-tobacco lobbying people. Uh, and so I, I continued to follow him and, 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 and very interested. I'm just always interested in what he has to say. Um, I, I found him to be a more reasonable person and I was right, apparently. Um, and, and this is, this is what it has come to. Um, and, uh, for those, we might get into this in, in the post that we'll be working on for this. Um, but, uh, some people may remember Cliff Douglas being a part of, uh, the American Cancer Society's tone on e-cigarettes shifting a few years ago. Um, this is when uh, they, I think it was 2018, um, they updated their position statement on electronic cigarettes and they somewhat softened the language. Uh, and we talked uh, about this last week with ACS. Did we? That, that softer tone. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, well, I, I'm not exactly sure what it, that, yeah, we were just recently talking about this. So yeah. it, it's kind of fitting that now we have this. Um, so anyway, just to cut to the chase, um, uh, Cliff Douglas, formerly of American Cancer Society, has now come out uh, opposing flavor bans. Uh, and um, basically, there's, there's some call outs here on both sides of this, of this debate. Um, and, and I think he does a very good job of sort of threading the needle here and saying, look, there's, there are issues that both sides have to work on in order for us to have a productive conversation about this going forward. Um, but, you know, I, so first of all, I, I don't want to like, well, I do, I want to talk about everything that's been on my mind for the past 24 hours about this, because um, it's a lot. And some of it I may be able to put into a post and some of it, I, I guess not. Um, but some of what's happening in Alex's brain is going to be exclusive <laughs> to this here podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, the one thing that, that I sort of keyed off on here is, um, that, you know, he, he basically calls out issues with both sides. And, and I think, you know, he, he, in a much more delicate way than I'm about to, um, draws attention to the fact that the tobacco control movement as it is um, sort of disproportionately weights any theoretical benefit they can provide for children um, versus the harm we know will come to adults who continue to smoke uh, and, and are not encouraged to, to use all of the options on the table, including smoke-free nicotine products. Um, and, and so it's that disproportionate weighting that is going to end up causing net harm. Uh, and that's, I, I don't know if he said exactly that, but it, it is basically the theme here that a lot of these folks who sort of step outside of the tobacco control community and get to know the tobacco harm reduction people, they are now in a position where they sort of have to look back and, and, and speak back to that community and tobacco control and say, you guys are paying way too much attention to the young people. There are millions of adults out here who deserve the same kind of access and support uh, that, that you're, you know, taking away from them in the name of protecting kids. Um, and, and there's a couple of points that he makes here when calling out the, the vaping community. 
Um, and, and I believe he does use the words, uh, oh, it's a, the vaping advocacy community. Um, so one of the things that, that we in the vaping community uh, have pointed out repeatedly is what I just talked about, was that, you know, the activism is disproportionately weighted in favor of uh, protecting children kind of at all costs. Uh, and, and we're the folks, we're the cost. We, we're the ones that get to experience the cost because we lose access to these products that we've been using um, and we lose access potentially to some of the newer nicotine products that are out there. Um, and so it, it gets a little, I think, hyperbolized when we talk about it. It comes out as you only care about the kids and uh, why are you trying to kill me? Uh, kind of stuff like that. But it, it's really important for us to try to step into the shoes of the tobacco control movement uh, because the first thing that we have to do is acknowledge that they are real people just like us and they have come up through this, this system where what they are currently doing, what they are currently advocating for in tobacco control is what they've been trained to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I hate to, to, you know, this is the same, ultimately, this is a very similar conversation that we're having about police use of excessive force, police use of force, period. Um, it is what law enforcement are trained to do. That's where they spend most of their time is training how to judiciously use a, a lethal force. Um, and so when they find themselves in those situations, well, what they've been trained to do most of the time is use force. And that's what they're gonna fall back on. That's what they instinctively do. So think about that scenario and now apply it to tobacco control or any other kind of you know, substance use control movement. They have been programmed throughout their years of training to destroy the tobacco companies at all costs. That is it, it for them. It's about access. It is the ultimate way to crush access is destroy the companies that are making the products, make it as hard as possible for them to sell products. Um, it is all about the children. It is, it, you know, it, it's about sort of breeding out this dependence on tobacco or even curiosity about it in their mind. Um, and, and I think Cliff actually does some some balancing of expectations here. When Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids says a tobacco-free future, what they're talking about is below 5% use prevalence. It's not actually zero, it's below 5%. And we have been getting closer and closer to that much. Recently, we've been getting there a lot faster yeah. um, because of the availability of vapor products and other alternatives, um, and, which is, I think, I can't, don't, I don't wanna put words into Cliff's mouth, but I think that is part of what he's saying here as well, that these products are actually providing a benefit in terms of people quitting smoking. Anyway, all of that to say, that's that, that destroy tobacco companies, that's the training that these folks have come up with. It's not 100% of their training, but it is a large part of the mission. Uh, and so that sort of almost singular focus on destroying the business side, the supply side of this um, is, is why a lot of these policies end up going awry because they're not actually tailored to, to really 
help the folks that, that need the help and so on. Anyway, I, I've gotten completely off track here as far as what I started talking about here, which is how um, people in tobacco control who, who do really genuinely believe that they are on the right side of history, um, the ways in which the tobacco control movement has provided options for adults. And again, staying in, in the shoes of someone approaching this from the, the, the intervention side, the, the policy intervention, the, the, the pharmaceutical intervention side of things, thinking that that is the best way to go about this. Yes, providing smoke-free nicotine products like nicotine gum, the nicotine patch, the lozenges. Uh, I don't know if you still can, but you could probably go to your local pharmacist and have them make uh, nicotine candy, literally make you nicotine candy. Um, you can get prescription nicotine lollipops. Um, all of those things are available to people who smoke and all of the marketing is there to let them know that those products are available and that they can help you uh, at, at every doctor visit. You, there is that moment of, uh, it's a touch point for public health to say, would you like help quitting smoking today? Here are some materials, here are access to research. You can go to the, the drugstore and blah, 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 all of this stuff. So yes, it is true that from that perspective, from the, the medicalization perspective, um, the tobacco control movement has made a substantial effort. I mean, even if you just wanna look at this from the perspective of dollars, millions of dollars, potential billions of dollars have gone into research and development about nicotine replacement therapies. Millions of dollars, countless hours Tons of people have, tons of very smart people have worked on this issue for decades and, and trying to provide alternatives that will help people move away from cigarettes. All of that having been said, and I, I'm, I'm saying all of that just because it's true and, and yeah, it is worth, it's worth acknowledging it, uh, especially when we're talking about bridging this, this divide. Um, and so, you know, having said all of that, uh, I think, you know, everybody should, everybody can, I think, acknowledge that and, and work that into our routine. Hopefully, hopefully seeing things from that perspective, um, maybe, maybe helps people temper their anger a little bit. Um, I mean, the things that I go into next might not temper your anger, but um, it, it's certainly, uh, I think, worthwhile to, to keep that in the forefront of your mind. Um, and so that's that. I mean, that's that is in a nutshell kind of that's one of the things that that Mr. Douglas points out that the the, the vaping community and TH and harm reduction advocates um, I think need to sort of realign uh, in terms of our our, our messaging. Um, and then there's some other points in here. I don't want to you know read the letter. I think everybody is entitled to have their own reaction to this. Um, oh, I had it on my notes. And now I don't know where my notes are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to write everything down, but then, okay. So um, another, another kind of sticking point for, for Cliff in here is uh, acknowledging the level of youth use. Um, specifically, he talks about youth experimentation. Um, and, and I think maybe there's, maybe this is an area where we can can correct the perception. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, for the most part, all of the folks that I, the, the, the circle in vaping advocacy and THR advocacy that I run in, 
um, pretty much everyone that I deal with has been struggling for years to contextualize the numbers that we get on youth use. And this all started, I mean, before I even joined CASA. So pre-2013, 2014, the vaping community has been talking about how this whole current user thing is totally miscommunicating use prevalence and, and patterns of use. Uh, and so we have been screaming for years, demanding that this be clarified and and, and not used as some sort of, you know, bumper sticker propaganda slogan that just scares the willies out of everybody. Um, if you walk into any situation and say 30% of young people are current users of a drug, everybody's going to be concerned. That's just the natural reaction to things. Yeah. When you're talking about, oh, almost a third of the, you know, like yeah. that's, that's a huge, that's, that's a concern. So, and, and that's, and that is how this information has been presented. It's been, and so it, it's a warped way of looking at it. So um, I always forget this guy's name, but he was with Public Health England and it was part of the CNBC interview that got kind of cut out, but they made it into a web extra, um, probably because it counteract, it, count, it contradicted their entire narrative of their story. Um, but you know, the, the, the gentleman whose name I always forget from Public Health England uh, said in no uncertain terms that, you know, the UK was looking at very similar numbers compared to the United States. They just didn't call it the same thing. They don't, they're not looking at the, the kids who are experimenting with the product. They're looking at regular users, young people who are using these products regularly, habitually, whatever you want to call it that number is actually remarkably low. And it's that number that we want people to focus on, not the 28% the, the of young people who don't own a vapor product, uh, don't intend to buy a vapor product, but they used it once in the past right. 30 days. They used a jewel once three weeks ago at Mark's birthday party and then decided they didn't like it. But that teenager somehow is now in that percentage of quote unquote current users. Right. And that doesn't make much sense. Like when you contextualize that, most people I would hope would go, wait, that doesn't make much sense. Right. You know, if I go bowling once, am I a, a bowler now? <laughs> am I like a, a professional bowl? No, I went bowling once, you right. know, I didn't like it. I never did it again. You wouldn't consider <laughs> me like a current bowler. No. I don't know what's wrong with you that you don't like bowling, but. It was just the first thing. I don't mind bowling, <laughs> bowling's fine. <laughs> The first thing that, you, you understand what I'm saying, like it just doesn't it doesn't make much sense. So when you contextualize that for people, they go, "Oh, well, why didn't they say that?" And that's the point we're trying to make. Exactly. So, and I do know that there are some people out there who are, are using very, um, very blunt language in 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 participating in this discussion. It's like there's no youth epidemic, um, and you know, from but there are also people with with you know tremendous backgrounds in, in tobacco control, who have also come out and said that th there is no youth epidemic. Yes, there is a rise in youth use, and, and it's fine to be concerned about this, but it's not fair to qualify that as, or describe that as an epidemic. And, and I, you know, I was there when the, the media relations director, or I forget what her title is, um, uh, you know, explained or, or 
shared the FDA's new, uh, I guess it was part of the, it's part of the real cost campaign um, that they were unleashing on children, um, and 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 described that they they focus grouped, you know, with the kids. What's mm-hmm. what what a what's a word that's going to have the most impact with your peers? What's going to resonate with you and your peers the most? And it was the kids that picked epidemic. I'm not, you know, we're not making this up. This actually happened. This no, was no, a, I've this seen was, this was a literal FDLI. screenshot from FDA. Like this is. Exactly. So it, it's, you know, the, the timeline once again is very important here. Um, it wasn't science that determined this was an epidemic of use. It was a focus group as part of a campaign to, Scare the scariest word from using these products. Yeah. So that's, you know, we can have that conversation about the concerning number of young people who are using these products. But I think, you know, that's that's the context that we need to, to have this discussion in, not, oh my God, the building's on fire and we, we have to save all the children. It's that's not what we're looking at here. And I know that, look, I I say that, and, and you're, an, you're a parent, and you can call me out for, you know, if I'm stepping out of line here, but, you know, I, I say all of that understanding that to some people that may feel very dismissive. I don't want to do that. I fully acknowledge I, I don't have children. Uh, for me, this was pretty much a matter of choice. Uh, so I, I am not going to pretend to speak for moms and dads all over the country, uh, but, but, uh, I was a teenager once, and I, I was a, I was a troublesome teenager. So I know what I put my parents through. I know how scary my substance use was for my parents. I have all of the empathy in the world for parents whose kids are coming home with nicotine or cannabis or cocaine or heroin or little airplane bottles of alcohol or some weird alcohol they got from the kid down the street. I know that that is all very terrifying. And I think you deserve more resources and more truth about what's going on. And, and I think we talked about this last week, but the most, or, or maybe I, I can't, now I can't remember when the hearing was um, in Alaska, um, but one of the star witnesses in Alaska is, was a, a mom who was asked to share a story about her daughter. And it was, it, it, it was, it was THC. It, it, her daughter was vaping THC, ended up getting sick, um, you know, and, and it was a huge deal. And it, the interesting thing was that like, we all were listening to this story and sitting there thinking, this is THC, this is THC. And then finally she says it's THC. And then she goes into talking about how, she had no idea what to look for. The only thing that she has heard about in the news and from the school and, and on social media was this thing called Juul. She didn't know what uh, a, a THC cartridge looked like. She didn't know what it, what's, she didn't know what an open system vapor product looks like. She doesn't know to look for any of these things. And so here are parents now who are actually being shielded a little bit from the truth because the only informa- information they're getting is intended to, uh, it, it's intended to persuade you to think a certain way about these products. It's not intended to inform you. Uh, and, and so parents, all of parents and teachers and school administrators, all of these people are being left in the dark about 
what these products are, how they're used, and about the people who are using these products. Um, so yes, I mean, I will absolutely meet any of these people halfway and, and let's have a conversation about what the numbers actually say. I don't think that any of us have been given the benefit of, of hearing that uh, in, a, in a truthful and honest way. So um, for, for the folks who, who are still out there saying there is no youth epidemic, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the one, I'm not in any position to tell anybody what to say, but I would offer the suggestion to maybe temper that language a little bit and bring it back, bring it back to what we have all been talking about for years is that, you know, the words used to describe, you know, the, the different, the, the, the different strata of use uh, needs to be realigned to more closely resemble reality. Uh, that's that's the conversation we all want to have. We are all concerned about young people using drugs, uh, but let's have an open and honest conversation about it. As a parent, um, first, I'm never going to tell another parent how to parent their children. That's if you're a parent out there listening, that's your job. You're you're the parent to your children. Um, but as a parent, uh, I want to know. I want to know the truth. I want to know what the real risks are. Um, and, and for me and my kids, my kids are, you know, they're not super young. They're 11 and eight. Um, so they're still young, but they're not, you know, toddlers anymore. They're, they're kids that go to school and they learn about things in the back of the school bus. And they're going to be curious here in a few years about the world around them and things like this. Um, but we have really real, open, honest conversations in this house, uh, which I think is I think that's where I accept that, you know, I was the same way as a teenager. I did drugs. I drank. I skateboarded at 30 miles an hour down hills and almost got ran over by cars. I mean, I did a lot of really risky things, but nobody ever had those honest conversations with me about the potentials for harms and like what was, you know, which I wish they had because I definitely ended up in a few situations where I probably could have died. But in this house, for me and my kids, because I went through those things and because I know what I know and believe in what I believe in, um, I try to have those really open and on, honest conversations about whether it's smoking, whether we're talking about drug use. I haven't quite gotten into the, uh, the world of sex yet, but at some point we'll have those discussions down the road too, you know, and, and I'm going to treat it the same way. We're going to have open and honest conversations because I want my kids to make informed decisions. You know, I accept that my children are not always going to make the best decisions because human beings are failable at any age. Um, but I want them to make informed decisions. I want them to understand to the best of their ability what these things are and, and where the risks are. And, and if they're going to choose to do something like this, how, how to be as safe as possible. Yeah. So, so as a parent, that's my approach. And again, I don't want to tell people how to parent your kids, um, but I just believe in having those open, honest conversations because I think ultimately that's how we can try to make the best decisions. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to wager that there are probably more parents out there with the same perspective than, than we might think. Um, certainly people who are wrapped up in, in preserving traditions and so on. Um, may not like to, 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 to hear that, but I think once, once parents are given, you know, an appropriate level of resources and, and, and that's the issue though, that's the issue, you know, as a parent, if I didn't spend all this time 
researching and learning and, you know, getting past the first 40 pages on Google when I type in vaping. Um, if I didn't know all these things and take the time to learn them, I would just assume whatever the media has told me and take it as gospel and preach that to my children and move on. And that's just really disingenuous to everyone. It's disingenuous to me as a parent, if I'm not being informed, like this mother in this hearing who didn't even know what to look for while she has a child that could potentially die from this thing. And the media and public health are pointing me in a completely opposite direction. Um, that I, I, I take offense to that as a parent, like these, these institutions are here to inform us. So that way my children don't die. But if you're pointing me towards something that, has nothing to do with the situation, you're not helping me at all. You know, you're not, you're not informing me as a parent. You're not helping my kids. You're not helping anyone. You know, that it's, it's really disingenuous and it's really harmful um, to not be, to not communicate those things. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, as we're talking about this, I, I guess I'll remind, you know, folks like I, I, I very much appreciate this letter from from Cliff Douglas, and um, it's I I hope I'm not making it out to be bigger than it is, um, but I I truly believe that you know this this I hope has a lot of influence over people in the tobacco control community. Um, this is not Cliff Douglas isn't someone who just popped on the scene a few years ago, had a job for a little bit at the ACS, and then moved on. Um, he has been in this for 33 years, as he explains in his in his in his letter. Um, and Matt Myers is is um, is a mentor, was a mentor to him. Um, so this is this is this is a situation where we have a person who has died in the wool tobacco control, who is seeing a much different angle to this. And um, it's the why that this is the part that. I think makes me the most upset. Um, and, and I'm curious how many other people, what other people's thoughts are on this. Um, but the, uh, and, and, and just a note, please go read Cliff Douglas's letter. Don't just rest on my highlights here. Um, and I do hope that, that this is adding things to the points that he, this is, this is not criticism. This is, I hope, I, I hope really ultimately what this is providing um, are some some pretty informed um, starter topics, I think, for for everybody involved. Um, so, um, yeah, back to the so the impetus for his shift in in how he views vaping specifically uh, comes from his experience with a family member, his niece. Um, who I think is in her 20s. Um, don't quote me on that, but um, young adult uh, who was smoking cigarettes, but uh, quit smoking by switching to Juul. And in the midst of the 2019 lung injury cases, uh, she quit using Juul and switched back to smoking uh, because she was afraid that the Juul would kill her. And uh, you know, as Mr. Douglas explains, there was nothing, nothing, there still is nothing linking specifically Juul to the lung injury cases. And there continues to be nothing linking any other brand of nicotine vapor product to the lung injury cases. 
All we have are people who say, no, I used, used nicotine, not THC. Those, that makes up the 16% of people who were you know, kind of not sure about what they were using. Um, so again, no recalls were issued in the wake of any of this. And, 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 and this is pretty squarely on, on the THC product. Um, so uh, yeah, he, he saw somebody, he watched it happen. He watched what we have been saying would happen for 12 years now. 12 years, Kasa has been saying, if you ban flavored products, people will go back to smoking. Um, and Cliff Douglas watched it happen 2019 going into 2020. And that has changed his mind. So my question to anyone listening to this, and especially anyone in tobacco control, um, I know the answer, I get it, but I have to ask anyway, why is Cliff's experience more important than mine? Why is it that when I hear of people going back to smoking, when I hear of shop owners being accosted by their customers who run into their store and throw their vapor products at them and say, God damn you for poisoning me. Why is that not significant enough to change people's minds? Why are thousands of stories like that, hundreds of thousands of stories like that, not enough? Why is Cliff Douglas's experience with this more important than mine? I'm absolutely furious about this. I'm never going to be okay with this. Um, and and this, is, this is not unique to vaping, I get that. And I understand that, that uh, you know, Cliff Douglas has a law degree. He spent three decades in tobacco control. That's why his voice carries more weight. That's why it's so important that Cliff Douglas and people like him publish letters like this now. There is absolutely no reason for people to hold back on this. If this resonates with you and you are in tobacco control, you need to post your op-ed now. This is happening. Thousands of people are being denied access to life-saving products because of the policies that the American Cancer Society, the American Lung Association, the American Heart Association, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, the Truth Initiative, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the CDC and people at the FDA have been pushing for years. Our blood is on your hands. If you don't want it to be that way, publish your own letter. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. I'm going to edit that fuck out, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, I know that this is not unique to vaping, but, you know, specific to this issue, um, you know, we, we started a testimonials project in 2011 because of this, because we know that people's personal stories have power and, and they, they, they should, that, that's, this is what we need. I mean, yes, we can have that conversation about making sure that all the ingredients going into vapor products are, are on the level and aren't going to cause an unnecessary amount of damage to people. Uh, we, we are having that conversation. The FDA now is taking pre-market tobacco applications. There are flaws in that process. We need to have that conversation as well. But the point is that, you know, for years, people have been experiencing great success by switching to these products. It's verifiable for them. It's verifiable with their doctors. Their health has improved. All of the conditions that were being caused by smoking have reversed in so many of these people. We hear stories about, I took, talked to a woman in Atlanta 
for a half an hour. I, she walked up and said, I have this really wonderful story. And I said, you need to sit down and write this into a letter right now. And I will send it to the appropriate person. She was on a list to get a heart transplant and absolutely she would have died, literally would have died if she didn't quit smoking. Because if she didn't quit smoking, she wasn't going to get the new heart. And so she switched to vaping. And her doctors said, this is great. You can get the heart transplant now. Oh, the vaping is great. Like, is, is that not enough? Is that, one, is that woman's testimony not enough to convince a bunch of people who are working in tobacco control that these products have you know, a utility and it's saving lives? <laughs> So, yeah, I, I mean, we get to hear all of these wonderful stories and it's super frustrating because, you know, our job really is to help facilitate that flow of, you know, these people's personal experiences and getting those in front of the lawmakers. But then to, to just year after year have all of that, all of that very real stuff, just like Cliff Douglas's niece going back to smoking, all of that just gets dismissed. You're, you're just a bunch of anecdotes or you're just a bunch of tobacco company shills. Enough, enough of it. We're okay. real people. It well, actually happens. And now that it's happened to one of your own, I hope you pay attention. I, I still believe the, the plural of anecdote is data. Um, and if you want to look at quote unquote anecdotes, uh, just to plug Kasa again, I'm looking at the 13,701st testimonial that's on Kasa's site. That's almost 14,000 testimonials that are just on CASA. Yeah. There are countless, countless stories out there that aren't on the website because not everybody goes to CASA.org and posts their testimony. But there are over 13,000 of them right there. Real people, human beings with families, friends, brothers, sisters, mothers, daughters, sons, right there that you can start scrolling through. 13,000. Thousand seven hundred of them. Yeah, and 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 take that number. It's just like when you hear about power outages, right? Uh, the 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 numbers they report about power outages are accounts. They're not people, right? Um, these are individual testimonials. It's not real. It's not a full accounting of the number of people who are affected by this person making a positive change in their life. Exactly. So multiply multiply that thirteen thousand yeah. seven hundred and one by by two, three, four, and and that's. That's a little bit closer to reality. Yeah. Dan, you said everything I wanted to say, and you, you said it so much better than I ever could. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, the only other thing that, that I wanted to say, you know, you had that, you were talking about that conversation. Um, and, and I try not to, to talk about it or plug it too much on this show, but the podcast that I previously did on my own um, prior to, to us doing this, um, there's a couple of episodes that people may be really interested in that, in that realm as well. Um, in the rise and vape podcast, I used to do spotlight episodes and I did a few, uh, I did, I, I did one on COPD. I did one on asthma. I did one on drug recovery. And I also did one, uh, on diabetes. Uh, and in those episodes, I bring real people in to share their stories and share that success. So not only can you go to casa.org and you can read 13,701 of these, but you can, you can also, if you wanted to go listen to the episodes that I, I worked really hard on with, uh, over at rise and vape, and you can hear people share those stories about how these products improve their lives. I mean, you know, people who would have most likely died had they not switched. Um, and it's really powerful stuff. And if that doesn't, 
if that doesn't change your mind or open your eyes or or get you curious like I, I hope I hope for most people that it doesn't take their own niece going back to smoking you know that's the thing that I, I want is that it doesn't come to that that we can help people you know realize these things and, and come to these conclusions or, or see uh, see the truth see the light whatever you want to say um, before it's something that becomes so personal it's unfortunate that it comes to that all too often though yeah. 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 I mean, you know, people, it, it's, it's human nature. I get it. You know, it, it, we don't know there's a problem until it's in our backyard. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it, we have so many stories about this, even, you know, the most recent ever maybe identifiable for a lot of people is, um, you know, the drug war. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a cynical, but real, you know, look at things is that, you know, the opioid crisis didn't turn into an opioid crisis until it started affecting white people in the suburbs. It's very true. Yeah. And, and so it's, and, 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 you know, it's white people in the suburbs who have the power and the money to get the lobbying effort going to push back on things. And, um, other people smarter than me can, can talk, I think more critically about this, but, um, you know, it's a pattern in, in our society. Um, and, and, you know, if, if vaping were something that was prevalent in, in communities of color, um, we wouldn't be having the same conversation. We know that. Um, and so it's, it, you know, it's rich white suburban moms with their, with their teenage all-star children who are experimenting with vapor products and, and may experience some sort of physical um, uh, ailments or whatever, um, depending on their patterns of use, which is another thing people need to consider. Um, at both sides, both sides of this need to consider patterns of use um, in terms of youth use. Uh, and, but yeah, it's, 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 those are the people that are going to get the attention. So, um, yeah, you know, I get it and, and we all need to learn to work with it. Um, but uh, hopefully, hopefully this is all a start. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Uh, reminders uh, really quick. Uh, the, uh, the vape mail ban, uh, that call to action is still very much going on. So please, uh, if you haven't submitted your testimonies, um, you have until the 22nd of this month. Please try to get them in by the 21st, though. Don't wait uh, till that last business day comes down to the last hour. Maybe something comes up and you don't get it in. Try to get it in by the 21st. It is a two-parter. It is up on Kassad. Uh, .org, uh, as well as a few places in California, Corte Madera, some indoor uh, private bands. Um, what was this? Uh, this was Jerupa Valley, uh, Boulder County, Colorado. And there's a few other places here that we talked about today as well. I will have all the links and such as in the SoundCloud description for everybody uh, where you can go uh, and check all of that out. And, uh, and I guess that's it. I guess that's where we're wrapping it up this week. Fantastic show, Alex. We did a great job. You did a wonderful job. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, yeah, I just sat here, man. I just sat here. I was like, I was just so, it was so intense. You guys should have seen it. I wish that was live. Anyways. Um, All right. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts for everybody out there, Alex, before we get out of here today? Just take care of each other. Be safer. Fantastic. I feel the same way. Stay safe, everybody. Be excellent to each other. And we will we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.